exclusive debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great week to look at the problem of prejudice and discrimination and what really counts as basically drawing Americans apart in a destructive and uh, horrible and unacceptable way. There was a case in Richmond, Virginia, where a meeting was scheduled uh, and paid for at a bar and grill, Metzger Bar and Grill and Butchery in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And the employees of the store canceled the meeting because they refused to serve the people who came in. Did they refuse to serve them because they were drag queens? Did they refuse to serve them because they were black? Did they refuse to serve them because they were Jewish? No, they refused to serve them because they were pro-biblical in their organizational outlook. Is political discrimination an acceptable and natural form of discrimination? We'll be speaking with uh, Ingrid Jock a little bit later in this show, who is someone who's written a very persuasive, I think very important column on what is going on here. There's also an important column by Mark Thiessen, one of the leading conservative columnists in the country. He uh, writes for the Washington Post. He's a former speechwriter for President Bush. He worked for President Reagan. He uh, basically says that we have turned a corner as conservatives and as Republicans regarding Donald Trump. We will talk about that. And speaking of turning a corner, uh, there has been a great deal of speculation and a great deal of uh, uh, investigation and uh, to try to determine what it is that Kristen Cinema is trying to do. Uh, is she attempting to start a new independent movement a la Ross Perot, or is she just protecting herself from a dangerous primary threat from uh, even more liberal Democrats? She, of course, has been one of the most moderate Democrats, particularly regarding pro-business and pro-tax issues. And when I say pro-tax issues, I mean uh, allowing uh, businesses and individuals to proceed with Without being punished by taxes. We'll be talking to Josh Kroshauer of Axios about that uh, coming up. And uh, then we will also be speaking about this completely crazy, unimaginable uh, attempt to uh, knock over the government in Germany. Uh, is this a serious threat to the United States? It's um, <laughs> it's certainly not a good development, and it seems directly linked to QAnon in ideology, and now implicating a uh, hit list of major German figures who uh, these uh, radicals are trying to to take out and to undo. Uh, we will be speaking about that as well on the Michael Medved show. Uh, the uh, first off, uh, in speculation about Kristen Cinema and what she means and what her uh, new move announcing that she is leaving the Democratic Party means, why is it that Charles Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate are so comfortable with that? Are they just pleased to get rid of a pain in the rear end? Well, they can't be, because without Kristen Cinema, they're back to a situation where they have a 
a 50-vote Senate majority, which isn't a majority. It's just one half of the U.S. Senate. But Chris Christie uh, was on TV over the weekend, and he was uh, speculating about uh what this really means and uh we will uh, uh take a listen to what chris christie this is clip nine had to say oh look it just rains on you know the democrats parade and it reminds them that even at 5149 kirsten cinema and joe manchin are still the two most important united states senators out of the hundred and that she wanted to make sure she reminded them, I suspect, that I'm not to be taken for granted. Um, so I don't think, I think that's the best thing. Otherwise, um, I generally agree with Heidi. I don't think that this is going to be any big deal on Capitol Hill on a day-to-day -day basis. Everyone's still playing their same role. You know, the rest of the folks in the Democratic caucus are going to play their role. Cinema and Manchin are going to play theirs. And the Republicans are going to play theirs and have... Okay, and that role that Republicans are going to play uh, will include, it has now been announced they're going to be opening the new Congress uh, controlled on the House of Representatives by uh, Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans. Uh, they're going to begin by reading aloud the Constitution of the United States. Now, is this directed at showing the difference between Republicans and Democrats? I think it's really directed, again, showing the difference between uh, the Republicans in the House and uh, one Donald J. Trump who <laughs> feels that because of the massive election fraud, as he indicated, the Constitution should be terminated. Uh, there is more about Christ uh, Kristen Cinema uh, from uh, MSNBC's Rachel Scott. What she talked about is the impact about this in, in terms of the media and particularly the way the media and the country in general responded to the uh, victory of Raphael Warnock over in Georgia. Clip 10. But it did take some wind out of the sails of the Democrats, especially after Senator Raphael Warnock winning his runoff election in Georgia. What what do you think this really means for Democrats? I mean, it really sucked the air out of the room of the victory party. I feel like the confetti was like still dropping to the floor <laughs> and she like came in with the shockwave on Capitol Hill. I mean, two good signs for Democrats here. Number one, she says she's not going to caucus with Republicans. Democrats, quite frankly, don't even see her at caucus meetings as it is right now. It it does matter less of where she lunches and more of how she votes, obviously. Uh, but also, she asked the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, to keep her committee assignments. And that's going to matter big for Democrats because it will allow them to retain the majority on committees, which will allow them to exercise their subpoena power, also push through judicial nominees, which is a big priority for the Biden administration. I do think this happens to be more about 2024 and sort of building up that independent coalition that she's looking for in Arizona. Okay, when she talks about looking for an independent coalition in Arizona, there's something else about 2024 that I, I think that uh, we will be speaking about this. But it is so very likely that the Republicans gain consent, uh, control of the Senate in 2024. And if, uh, Kristen Cinema is seeking uh, re-election and see seeking re-election as an independent that may help her compared to identifying with democrats in a year uh, that could go at least in the senate election and this is regardless of who's nominated for president the the basic thing to remember about 2024 coming as a senate election is the way it's structured because of history is there are 33 
Senate seats that will be up for re-election. Uh, of those Senate seats, 23 belong to Democrats that they have to defend. And there are a bunch of seats, including Kristen Sinema's, that are very much in doubt. They're already leading Democrats who have said they're going to challenge her in a primary. And then uh, you also have the uh, prospect of Carrie Lake, who has now filed suits, who is continuing to fight uh, the election. I think Carrie Lake would be a disastrous candidate, frankly, for the Arizona Republicans to choose because she has continued to harp on the uh, election denialism, which has not been a popular position. But the point being that if you're defending 23 seats and the other side has 10 secure seats, the chances of a Republican victory and a Republican takeover in the U.S. Senate in uh, 2024 are, are large, very large. Uh, we'll be talking about that and much more coming right up on the Medved Show on this eventful Monday of a very joyous season. I'm broadcasting actually now from uh, Kauai, Hawaii, and uh, in Lahue, uh, which is where we, we are stationed right now as part of this uh, organized tour that I am a part of. Uh, but uh, we will be right back with Josh Kroshauer of Axios on the future of the U.S. Senate coming up on the MedVed Show. Michael Medved Show. It's a pleasure to be joined once again by Josh Krashauer, who is one of the most astute political commentators in the country. He is the senior political correspondent over at Axios, a political reporting and analysis without fear or favor. In other words, it, it's not so easy to tell where, Jock, uh, where Josh Krashauer comes from individually and in terms of his personal preferences but in terms of uh Kirsten Cinema everybody's trying to figure this uh this lady out and uh, is given the fact that when she was elected to the house and I remember this it was a very big deal about her being the first bisexual in uh congressional history and I'm not sure whether she is still the only bisexual and sexual history in the congressional history. Um, but what about that aspect of her public identity, which at one time was very, very significant? She sort of left that behind, hasn't she? Yeah, Michael. First of all, thanks for thanks for having me, and, and it's great to be be back on the show. Uh, Kirsten Sinema, I've covered her for for many, many years, and she marches to the beat of her own drum. Uh, it's not just her uh, sexuality, but her first entree into politics was as a Green Party anti-war activist back in the early 2000s for Ralph Nader. Um, and that, that's how she got her start politically. She was on the, the far left of, of the Democratic Party, even as a uh, state legislator in, in Arizona. And she writes in her book that she actually learned through that experience that you actually get things done 
even from the progressive point of view, by, by actually finding areas of commonality with Republicans and other people who, who don't necessarily agree 100 percent with you. And that that's how she personally says she traces her evolution from the far left to really the, the, the middle uh, of, of, of the country. Um, and so look, I, I think there's a lot of principle there. Um, you, you, it's not easy to, to, to not have a party, to not have a home to run in. And it's, it's challenging on a personal level. It's challenging on a political level. That said, I will say, Michael, that she would have had a very, very difficult time uh, winning a Democratic primary in Arizona, given that the, the party uh, censured her, uh, that the, the party on the, um, the Republican Party in Arizona is run by the far right, and the Democratic Party increasingly is run by the far left in Arizona. And, she, you know, she knows that she would have had a very, very difficult pathway to reelection if she stayed that route. At the very least, she would have had to pander to the left if she decided to pursue that that uh, primary candidacy and staying in the Democratic primary. So she uh, she's running as an independent. And, uh, you know, we'll see if she runs for re-election ultimately. But she may have done this out of her own political survival. That's the, the only and maybe the best way for someone like her to win in a state like Arizona, where the extremes are exerting so much influence, is to run as an independent and, and, and attract both moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats in this re-election bid. Well, she would also conceivably be running against Congressman Ruben Gallego, who is a very interesting guy. I mean, he is a Democrat. He's a liberal Democrat. But he's also a Marine. And he's also a Harvard graduate. And he's also a Latino in a state with a growing Latino uh, population. Would he be, would you guess, the front runner for this crucial Senate seat in Arizona? I think the first question that Democrats need to ask is whether they, especially in Washington at least, is whether the White House, whether the Senatorial Campaign Committee wants to endorse cinema as an independent. I mean, there's plenty of precedent of, of Democratic leadership endorsing independent candidates for office. Bernie Sanders, Angus King in Maine, uh, Evan McMullen, who uh, was a candidate just this past year in Utah, was an independent candidate who tacitly won support and Democrats did not uh, get behind any other candidate. So there are, you know, alliances of convenience where, you know, maybe Democrats would say, hey, we may not agree with Kirsten Cinema on everything, but if we divide the, the vote between Kirsten Cinema and Ruben Gallego, that's the easiest way to elect a Republican in that in that seat. But so there are a lot of a lot of, a lot of dominoes that are going to have to, to drop. I, I know Ruben Gallego, he has said, I, I've talked to him in, in recent weeks, uh, he, he's definitely interested in, in running for, for the Senate. And I think, you know, if it's all up to him, he would make that decision. But it, it, if Joe Biden, if Chuck Schumer calls him and says, look, we, we want to get behind Senator Cinema, we don't want to divide the Democratic Party because that would only help Republicans, you know, he might be amenable to, 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 to sitting this one out. So and the big question to me, as I wrote in Axios over the weekend, is what does the White House, what does Senator Schumer do? Do, do they lend their support politically down the road for, for Senator Cinema, or do they only lend support for this limited, uh, you know, legislative maneuvering while politically getting behind an opponent of hers for, for, from the Democratic Party? Does some of this bring back um, memories of uh, the last two campaigns for Senator Lisa Murkowski, the uh, moderate Republican from uh, the state of Alaska, who six years ago, she lost the primary. And she lost the primary to a uh, 
a very, very far right candidate who had some real questions about his background, and then she actually won the election as a write-in candidate for her own Senate seat. And the last time she just, uh, with the new system in Alaska, she built, beat the Trump candidate, Kelly Chewbacca. Uh, could uh, Murkowski and uh, Cinema form their own, <laughs> I don't want to say a partnership because that has all kinds of different implications, but their own union of independent spirits, or one Republican, one Democrat? Well, you know, there are like small I independents increasingly in, in this United States Senate, whether it's Mitt Romney, whether it's, you know, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, uh, you know, Susan Collins in Maine. You know, you could come up with what Pat Murkowski you mentioned. I mean, there are about seven or eight swing Senate votes that are in both parties that, that are, are the moderates, the, 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 the true moderates who, who will try to broker these bipartisan deals and try to run and govern from the center. Um, so they, they could be a power base if they just decided to organize that way. You know, I don't know if cinema is more of a party of one, to be honest with you, Michael, in that, she, you know, like Manchin, she is something of a maverick. She's something of an independent. But unlike Manchin, she's not particularly close personally in the Senate with Manchin, even though they both are grouped together quite often. And, you know, she does her own thing. She has her own uh, quirks and her own views that are separate from a lot of the other moderates in the Senate. So, yes, she has been at the center of a lot of the deal making, um, the immigration uh, proposal she put out this past week. She, she was behind or she was involved in the gun control, mental health discussions that, that passed on a bipartisan level you know, lot, earlier in the year. But uh, I, I have a hard time seeing this more as a political move. I, mean, I think this is her first move to protect her own political standing back in Arizona. We will be right back with Josh Kraschauer about the future of the U.S. Senate. Uh, we were talking before you came on, Josh, about the fact that it is such a lopsided opportunity for the GOP in 2024 because they have 23 Democratic senators to go after. The uh, Democrats only have 10 pretty secure Republican Senate seats to go after. Could this be a turning point, regardless of the presidential race, of four in favor of the GOP. We'll talk about that further with Josh Kraschauer of Axios coming up on the Medved Show. Want more Medved? Go to michaelmedved.com or connect with him on Twitter at Medved Show. On the Michael Medved show, speaking with uh, Josh Kraschauer, who is uh, the senior political correspondent for Axios, and uh, he's um, one of the uh, uh, people who actually knows some of these colorful personalities in the Senate who uh, are going to be facing a new reality in, in Washington. First of all, in terms of that new reality, there's... Is there any significant uh, difference now in terms of either committee assignments or the organization of the committees or the way the Senate will operate um, with a 50-seat <laughs> a, a 50 plus, again, three people who are formerly independents? Because it's not only Kristen Sinema, it's Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Angus King of Maine, who are also technically 
independence. So actually, in terms of people who are willing to describe themselves as Democrats, they're down to, what, 48 now, right? Isn't that where they are? Yeah, and, and frankly, Kirsten Cinema is going to, like I said earlier, in a league of her own, because Angus King and Bernie Sanders, even though they're independent in name, they caucus with the Democrats. They go to the Democratic leadership meetings. Bernie Sanders has a spot in Democratic Senate party leadership. So, you know, they, they are basically Democrats, uh, independent in name only, whereas Cinema, she's not going to jeopardize those uh, majorities on the committees. Democrats will still have subpoena power now with 50, 50 to 49 uh, seats, uh, if you will. But, she, you know, she is um, really a true – it looks like she'll be a true independent. And she never caucused a whole lot. She never went to the meetings with her colleagues anyways. But, but she is about as true of an independent broker as you might imagine. I don't think her voting record is going to change, Michael, all that much. I think she's going to be skeptical of the more liberal and progressive ideas that come to the forefront. But then again, the House is now in Republican hands, and it's going to be hard to see anything of consequence passing without bipartisan support anyway. Last word on Kirsten Sinema. She, she, um, what you hear in all of these press accounts of her switch to the independent status is that she loves being the center of attention, that uh, she loves having the president and uh, Mitch McConnell and all of the different power brokers in Washington dependent on her and coming to her and wanting her um, uh, basic approval uh, because everything is so closely divided. But at the same time that people talk about how she clearly earns for attention, apparently she doesn't talk to reporters much. And this whole question about her personal life and who she really is, she grew up in this interesting background and grew up yeah. partially, at least part of it, as, as a Mormon which uh, doesn't doesn't seem to go with any aspect of her current I identity. Uh, what is that contradiction about the the idea of wanting attention at the same time? She, uh, at least according to most reports, avoids reporters. She's something like the Don Draper. If you ever watched Mad Men, she's the Don Draper of politics. In that, you know, her origin story is is, is fascinating. Uh, she, according to at least her own telling of the story, she. Grew up at a, you know, she spent time when she was a child at living in a gas station with her parents being homeless, um, struggling to make ends meet. Uh, she obviously was a Green Party, as we talked about, an activist on the far left, and now is one of the most moderate, independent-minded centrists in, in, in all of politics. Uh, you know, I was out in Arizona when she first ran for the Senate. I was fascinated by her story. I mean, no, knowing her personal story, her evolution politically. Um, I wanted to talk to her, just get a few questions in uh, to hear what she had to say. And I wrote a column about this, Michael, at the time. She, she avoided the press back then like the plague. She's, you know, there's so many interesting things about her bi biography, her background, but she literally like did not alert reporters <laughs> through a lot of her campaign events. She carefully stage managed a lot of the appearances she did publicly. Um, she, she did very little press for a serious Senate candidate back in, in 2018, to the point where I am actually a little surprised. I, I thought her, her M.O. was that she was going to be more of a partisan, and she was sort of pretending to be more of an independent in that 2018 Senate race to win, win over Republican voters. But, uh, you know, I give her credit in that she actually has lived up to her promises. She actually has governed and legislated as an independent, um, even though we don't really get a, a look into, like, some of the rationale and, and some of the thinking uh, behind all of her decisions.
And what about Carrie Lake? I mean, again, she is someone who everyone was talking about her. Uh, people talked about her as Trump's potential running mate had she won her governor's race in Arizona. And she still hasn't conceded it, of course, and she's suing on it. And is is there another Republican figure who would be a formidable challenger to uh, to Kristen Cinema other than uh, someone like Carrie Lake, who is very clearly identified with the uh, Trump wing of the Arizona Republican Party. Well, the, the worry that Democrats have about and why why their decision making is going to be closely watched is if the Democrats are divided between the moderate Democrat Kirsten Cinema and Ruben Gallego, then almost any Republican, you know, even Blake Masters won about what forty six percent of the vote, forty seven percent of the vote in his Senate race, even though he was a yep. weak candidate. You know, the fear is that any Democratic divisions in Arizona would automatically lead to any Republican winning an election, no matter how far to the right they are. So that that is, as I wrote my my newsletter this weekend, Kirsten Cinema is kind of daring the White House, daring the National Democratic Party to support her, because that that is frankly their best chance of holding that seat now. Now that she's an independent, if she gets independence, if she gets the blessing of the Democratic Party. She's, she's, you know, I don't want to say unbeatable, but she's in a really strong position, and the Democrats are in a pretty strong position. But if they divide them amongst themselves, if Ruben Gallego gets in this race and they divide the Democratic vote, then you could be handing the Democrats could be handing the season but to, to a Republican. So she's basically forcing the White House's hand, forcing the Democratic Party's hand, saying, "Get behind me. You can win the seat if you get behind me and get independents and Democrats. But if you divide this this Democratic House." That is a, a way to lose what, what could end up being a must-win seat for the party in 2024. I'm hoping we can uh, drop some of the Arizona focus as the years unroll between now and and 2024. <laughs> but uh, what's what's remarkable about what you just said, Josh, is wouldn't she have to, in other words, to foreclose the possibility of Ruben Gallego being the Democratic nominee? Wouldn't she have to enter the Democratic primary? Doesn't the the law in Arizona give the Democratic Party a right to have its own candidate? Yeah, so what we've seen in, like, like take Maine, for an example, where Angus King is an independent who, who caucuses with the Democrats. There's always been a, a Democratic nominee in Maine against Angus King, who gets very little of a very, very, very small share of the vote. You know, I think it's the same in Vermont with Bernie Sanders. Like, there's a nominal Democratic nominee who may get a few percentage points of the vote. There, there are plenty of situations where essentially the Democrats endorse the independent, and it creates a, a broad coalition of support for, for that incumbent or for that candidate. And that, that would be a very effective strategy for the Democratic Party, especially in a you know purple to reddish state like, like Arizona. But the problem is, I think you, you get, get to the nub of it. If Ruben Gallego wants to run, if, if any of the other Democratic congressmen in Arizona want to run, the, the, the nomination is theirs. And the Democratic Party, you know, we'll see how much... At, at, influence the White House or the Chuck Schumer have, but they can't ultimately control what, what certain individuals do. So, you know, if Ruben Gallego decides to, if he calls her bluff and says, no, I'm running, you know, I'm going to be the Democratic nominee, well, then 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 all of a sudden things get really messy for the party. Then Cinema could decide whether she's still running as an independent, whether she's going to be on on a ballot with another Democrat, or whether she uh, decides to step, step aside and, and, and retire after 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 a full time. You talk about things getting really messy in the in the minute that we have left to us. 
Uh, the messy question, who is going to be the Democratic nominee for President of the United States in 2024? We don't know. Everything we hear from the White House suggests that Joe Biden wants to run for a second term. He also is going to be 82 at the, at the start of 2024. And if you look at every poll, even after the midterm elections, there was an NBC poll that came out over the weekend. A majority of Democrats don't want him to run. I think I know I know what the White House says. I know what the White House wants. But there's going to be a rubber hits the road moment where we're going to have to Democrats in the entire country are going to have to grapple with whether it's feasible for an 82 year old, 86 at the end of the term can run and, and, and do his job effectively. Uh, and that's going to be a big question going forward, I think, in our, in our politics. Obviously, it's a gigantic question. And uh, then the question becomes, if not uh, Joe Biden, will he endorse his uh, running mate and the vice president of the United States? We will be right back with Dangers Abroad. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, after talking to uh, uh, Josh Krauschauer at some length about Kristen Cinema uh, and the election possibilities for her in 2024, there's only one announced candidate for anything <laughs> in 2024. It's it's a time. It's a ways away as we come up to the to the new year. Uh, it should give us some perspective that we have a whole year prior to election year. And the election year is at the end. The election is at the end of the year always. It's in November of 2024, so it's a while. But uh, the one announced candidate for any office is the uh, former president of the United States, who has announced his candidacy to restore himself to power. He just had yet another setback. It's been a tough week for him since he made his announcement. I mean, made all the tougher by his choice of dining companions, which remains uh, an issue with uh, continued proclamations that are extremely controversial on issues of anti-Semitism and more. But Judge Eileen Cannon, you may remember, she was that positive uh, judge uh, who was helping President Trump she had declared that uh, they needed a special master to go over the documents that Trump had illegitimately, so it is charged, uh, kept at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, she has just um, taken the ultimate step uh, against President Trump in a case called Trump versus United States. She dismissed the case. And uh, that is the former president's battle against the FBI uh, search warrant uh, on his Mar-a-Lago estate. Today, uh, they dismissed the case for lack of jurisdiction. So the legal problems will continue for President Trump. Th this also raises one of those those issues about how divided we really are. And John Kirby offered some response to critics who say that the Brittany Griner Victor Boot prisoner exchange was not a fair trade, that it should not have been done. A lot of this comes from conservatives who were talking about the contrast between 
Mr. Whalen, uh, who has in, been in prison for four years and is not released, and Brittany Griner, who is, Brittany Griner being a celebrity, Whalen not being a celebrity, but there's also that sensitive issue that Whalen and his family are identified as Trump supporters. Uh, and let it be known, by the way, that he was imprisoned for uh, years during Trump's administration and still did not get out of Russia. But uh, this is a comment by John Kirby of the National Security Agency who uh, responds to critics that the uh, trade for the release of Brittany Griner, which most Americans at least in some sense celebrated, uh, because you may not like her, you may not like her politics, you may not like what she stands for, but she is a great athlete, and it appeared extraordinarily excessive for her to be sentenced to nine years in penal colony, and that's over. She's back in the USA. Uh, here is John Kirby and his response to the idea that the entire trade was misguided and imbalanced. Listen. They weren't in the room. They weren't on the phone. They weren't watching the incredible effort and determination by uh, Mr. Carson's and his team to try to get both Paul and Brittany out together. Um, I mean, in a negotiation, you do what you can. You do as much as you can. You push and you push and you push. And we did. And this deal we got last week, that was the deal that was possible. It was the deal we could get now. Now was the moment we could get it. And we executed it. Again, uh, will there be continued efforts on behalf of Paul Whelan? Uh, according to the White House, there will, and certainly for political reasons and for reasons of basic justice and compassion, there should be. Speaking of issues of basic justice and compassion, there's a story from uh, Germany that is, is extraordinarily relevant to the United States because I think we tend to believe that when it comes to conspiracy theories and uh, dangerous sorts of reactions to public events, that America is particularly vulnerable. But this coming from the nation that once upon a time gave us the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler, they, um, uh, there is this story, which I think is worth looking at in a little bit of detail, because it is so extraordinary and so bizarre. The uh, story in the New York Times by Catherine Bernholt and Erica Solomon uh, says a ragtag band that had been dismissed as wacky and harmless gadflies, the Reichsburger, or citizens of the Reich, has uh, tilted at windmills on Germany's far-right political fringe for decades. But after the authorities accused members of plotting the overthrow of the German government and uh, the death of the chancellor, a sharply different view of the obscure group emerged uh, as a serious terrorist threat, supercharged by conspiracy theories about the coronavirus and uh, vaccines. Among the 25 members of the cell arrested last week were a judge, a doctor, a cook, a pilot, a classical tenor, and three police officers, uh, officials said. At least 15 had links to the military including former current soldiers and two reservists with access to weapons. The arrest put Germany on surveillance, set off one of the biggest anti-terrorist crackdowns in German post-war history. The group, the Reichsburgers, which does not recognize the modern German state, 
has seen its ranks grow from 2,500 to some 21,000 since the first pandemic lockdowns, government estimates, uh, est estimates show. It has established itself as the biggest far-right extremist danger in Germany via the pandemic, said Miro Dietrich, a, a senior researcher of CMAS, a Berlin-based research organization. Uh, in 50 of 150 dwellings raided on uh, Wednesday of last week, military equipment was found, including guns, ammunition, tasers, night vision goggles, crossbows, knives, combat helmets, and even swords, the federal police and intelligence officials said. There was also a sizable reserve of cash of over 100,000 euros, or about $105,000, as well as gold and silver. Beyond the plot broken up this week, the Reichsburgers were also behind a failed attempt to force entry to the German capital during an anti-vaccine protest two years ago. This uh, Reichsburger uh, scene has often been downplayed, even by security authorities. Well, not anymore, said Hans Funke, a political scientist at the Free University in Berlin. For years, members of the movement mainly made headlines for refusing to pay taxes and handing in their passports, instead demanding a certificate certifying them as citizens of the German nation, not of the German Republic, and often going down, uh, giving, putting down their place of birth as the Kingdom of Prussia or the Kingdom of Bavaria, which existed since uh, 1871. But since the onset of the pandemic, they have become a main conduit for violent and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, notably QAnon. Like QAnon, the Reichsburger used the pandemic to draw an ideological, incoherent mixture of vaccine skeptics, fringe thinkers, and ordinary citizens who said that the threat of the pandemic was overstated and that government restrictions were unwarranted. Uh, this is all extraordinary, isn't it? The, the QAnon conspiracy theories dovetailed with the Reichsburgers' own. The cell arrested this week had planned to topple German government, which it called the Deep State, and then renegotiate a peace treaty with the United States. In the United States, QAnon has already evolved from a fringe Internet subculture into a mass involvement that in some cases has become a political force. But the pandemic supercharged conspiracy theories far beyond American shores. That recognition, it seems to me, is, is very important. And all of this has to do with a, a very welcome article in the New York Times, uh, which is about someone who's been a guest on this show many times, uh, Dr. E. Fuller Torrey, who um, has finally, he feels, getting respect for his idea that we need to be more aggressive in dealing with uh, the mentally ill. And uh, it, his records include reports of people who, in the grip of psychosis, assaulted political figures or pushed strangers in the paths of subway trains. Congratulations to Dr. E. Fuller Torrey for having some justification of his idea that if you live in a representative democracy, uh, then insanity is not only a shame, it can be deeply dangerous. Yes, to all peace-loving, decent, and patriotic people in this greatest nation on God's green earth.